Welcome to the 17th episode of the Disney Cruise Line blog podcast. This week, we're going to go over the listener questions that we've received from emails, Twitter, Facebook, and on our, the voicemail line. So, let's get started. Our first email comes from Stuart and Anne from London. Their daughter has been working at Disneyland Paris and will be working on the Disney Dream. And they uh, booked the cruise basically to spend some time with her. Uh, right now, so they're going to wing it, wing everything. They're not really sure what to do just yet. They want to be, they want to kind of maximize their time on board to be able to hang out with their daughter as much as possible when she has off. Um, is there anything, the question is, is there anything we can think of to try and book at the time of check-in? Um, noting that they want to be kind of flexible with their potential, uh, off times for, to see their daughter. I mean, at time of check-in, I would probably choose to the earliest uh, port arrival time that you that's available, uh, so you can get on board as soon as possible. Uh, I mean, in terms of booking things ahead of time without knowing her schedule, might be a little tricky, just because you wouldn't want to, you know, in a port book a port port adventure and to find out that she has time off uh, when you're ashore. Or uh, I think the best advice in terms of checking in would be to select the earliest possible port arrival time and get to the port as soon as, as soon as you can on embarkation day. And then at the end of the cruise also, if she's got availability that final morning, you know, maybe you guys can go to Cabana's for breakfast or, you know, drag your feet and kind of spend as any time that she may have available. Uh, you know, I think maybe if you can get more or less an idea of what her schedule might be, you can kind of then plan around that. But if your focus is going on to kind of spend any downtime with her, to, I'd, pro I'd probably not try to book anything ahead of time that, you know, may not allow you to be flexible enough to spend that time with your daughter. Next email is from Leah from Texas. She's going on the uh, Disney Wonder in November and is wondering about the rotational menus in the dining rooms. Um, which night besides Pirate Night is best to be skipped or enjoyed in cabanas kind of thing. Uh, we talked a little about this in uh, the Rotational Dining Rooms podcast uh, a few weeks ago, but I think in terms of talking about the differences between the different menus, that is going to be a podcast in and of itself to kind of go through them. Uh, but real basic, say on a seven-night cruise, the first night, you're going to have three nights of your rotational dining room. Uh, you'll have a pirate night. Then you'll have maybe Captain's Gala, Prince and Princess, and uh, see you real soon. However, if the Wonder is still doing the a Frozen stuff, they might have the Frozen menu. It, it all It's going to be – I know the Wonder kind of did the Frozen stuff a little longer last year once, but that's kind of the basic – you get your basic menus, you get pirates, and you get, you know, three other menus throughout the week uh, you're on the ship. And even longer cruises, they'll just throw in, you know, one-off menus. Uh, not one-off menus, but, you know, other special menus. Uh, we've got a, a bunch of menus on the website uh, scanned and some are typed out. And if you look at 
past uh, personal navigator web personal navigator postings on the website. Uh, and you go through them, you'll see that each day we include which menu was offered, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of which uh, of the menus are still current and still kind of in rotation. Hello, Sanders family. We have hi. We have booked our first cruise, Four Nights on the Dream, with a stop in NASA and Castaway Key. We have two boys, ages eight and five, at the time of the cruise. Is there anything worth doing in NASA, or would we better, or would we better be spent our time using that ship as a stop? I'm sorry, that stop is a sea day. Thanks, Becca. Well, uh, we happen to have a nine and a half. She'll be nine and a half soon. Nine and a half year old. Um, Isabel, what do you think about NASA? What do you think your time is best doing? The pool deck. Pool deck. So here, here's what I'm going to recommend. Um, even though on a four-night cruise you do get the sea day, the decks are fairly busy during that sea day. So the cool thing about the NASA day is you do get several people that do go off the ship. Several. <laughs> tens. <laughs> tens of people go off the ship. But... What's great about that is that um, it's not as busy, even though not not that many people go off the ship. I would use that day as my pool day, and then I would use the actual sea day to do activities, goofy golf, things of that nature. Um, I would definitely spend both with eight with an eight and a five year old speaking to you as a parent. I would definitely use both of those days as sea days. Um, you know. Scott and I have been in Nassau before on our own, but honestly, I don't really feel like it's a place where I would take my child at the moment. And I am one of those people that do want to go to Atlantis and visit AquaVenture. And I feel like you're probably good once you get there, but it's getting from the ship to AquaVenture. So we're not quite ready to do that yet. So I would recommend the sea day. Isabel would recommend using it as a sea day. Scott? I would too. I I will say though, you're probably okay if there's if you do want to go ashore with any of the Disney Cruise Line port adventures. I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go venture out on your own. But and with, normally I agree with that, Scott. But they have a five year old, so you could take your eight year old with you ashore. But with the five year old, that one is a little more kindergarten's a little tougher. I'm just kind of going with. I, I'm not trying to say I wouldn't trust the Disney Cruise Line Port Adventures because in other podcasts, I've been a little negative on NASA in general, not wanting to go venture out, take our daughter out on her own, kind of exploring like we do in many other ports. So I would feel much better if we did want to go out that I'd be probably, I wouldn't have a problem with Disney's Port Adventures. Those are on a tight leash anyway keep those contracts so they're probably not going to let anything bad happen next email is from caleb i want to say thank you for the website it's been a huge help in planning my first disney cruise i also want to wanted to ask about transportation to port canaveral from airport or a hotel i've done some research but prices vary and i'm wary on the level of service do you have any recommendation i could follow or could help me direct me somewhere where you might have already covered this topic thanks so much uh, this topic, this question's uh, been asked, at, you know, of us a couple times, uh, two times recently on Twitter. Uh, that 
I've kind of asked other people to, with experience in this to kind of ask because we just drive to the port. or So we don't have the experience of looking for transportation from a hotel. Um, it didn't necessarily say you're staying at Walt Disney World, so I'm assuming you're looking at a regular hotel either around the airport or in the Port Canaveral area. Uh, I think from the... I will, in the show notes, I'll kind of find the uh, links to that thread on Twitter and kind of embed those to kind of see what other people have recommended. Again, we don't have a, any experience with it ourselves, so uh, I can't recommend to you any one in particular service from the airport to Port Canaveral or the airport to a hotel around Port Canaveral or anywhere. Uh, you know, we get asked this question a lot, and I, I've thought about it a lot because we have gone to, you know, Miami, Copenhagen, things of that nature. So um, when we were in Copenhagen, we just grabbed a taxi to the port. And I don't think that that's a bad plan um, to get some sort of transportation to the port. But, of course, it's much closer than it is, you know, from Disney to the port. So I would price probably Uber. I would try Uber and see of what some of the other things that Scott mentioned, plus also renting a car. Um, because, you know, I'm thinking about when we lived in Ohio, what we would do, and we did do Disney transportation, but with a child, we wouldn't do that because of the cost associated with it. That It's another 150 bucks then each I would I would trip. look at renting the car, honestly. So, um, but, but certainly, you know, Scott can link all those um, transportation things to that, but I, I wouldn't discount renting the car. Hello, I'm a regular blog reader and podcast listener. I have a quick question. Is it possible to book a reservation today for a future spring 2017 cruise through a travel agent and then reprice that cruise while on board our November 2016 cruise? Basically trying to take advantage of the onboard discount and Costco cash back, but get today's pricing and hold our preferred stateroom. The spring cruise is not a blockout date and the november cruise was booked on board on a previous cruise we're castaway club silver thanks and they asked to not say their name so i'm going to answer this because i have booked all of our cruises and scott has not so um yes you the the actual best thing to do has been to um book opening day and then try to rebook on board. Now, that being said, if your cruise raises in price between when you book opening day to onboard booking, uh, sometimes you're not saving anything, but it's always worth a shot. So the the actual, in my opinion, the way to get the, the absolute best deal on Disney cruises is to buy the voucher on board and then book when the cruises become available, have them move that voucher tor- towards a real cruise, which makes gets you the 10% off and that more booking benefits. If you're not able to do that and you have, you know, book a dummy date or whatever you do, um, you can reshop on board. But again, remember, sometimes the 10% off and the onboard booking, you know, you've gotten away cheaper at the first time. So, you know, let's think of it this way, guys. Disney is giving you a little bit of an incentive for booking on board, 
but it's not that great. A 10% okay. You know, for a short cruise, you're getting $100 onboard credit. For a longer cruise, you're getting $200 onboard credit. Sometimes booking the day that the ships, um, you know, the itineraries are released is the best deal. So just kind of keep that in mind. Make sure you're being savvy. Um, We have our preferred room usually as well. So we're kind of in that same ballpark. Um, But that's why we usually try to have the voucher that they can move to the to the day. Granted, we know we cruise more than the majority of the people, but you know, that's just something that we kind of hedge our bets on. So, um, it's going to vary. Just make sure you know the price. And then when you go reshop it, when you go to the onboard booking desk and you say, I want to reshop the cruise, you know, it's already booked, but I'd like to try to, um, you know, book the incentives with onboard booking and see what it is. Another thing that very few people know is that when you're on the ship, you can visit DisneyCruiseLine.com for free. So you don't have to have the internet package. You can visit it for free. And typically when you price a cruise, it is available to look at with the discount. So you can kind of do all that from your room and then go to the onboard booking desk with that information. But, you know, you, you can do that if you're interested. Next email is from Irene. I'm going on a Christmas cruise in December. I was wondering if you could do a podcast on your experience on a Christmas cruise. I'm going to be 13 by then, and I'm an only child. And Isabel is too. I was wondering if it's easy for her to make friends at the kids' club. This was one of my questions because I was thinking that if I had a friend, the kids' clubs would be more fun for me. Uh, In terms of the podcast on the Christmas cruise, we our last... I think it was episode 16 was all about the very merry time cruises and uh, our previous experience on those and talking about what they're offering now that's different from what we experienced. Isabel, how, how easy is it to, you know, meet new people in the clubs? It's pretty easy because usually the cast members, when you're sitting there, usually when I'm tracing, they usually say, so how's your cruise? Or if you were in a port, what'd you do in the port? Or Castaway Key. Sometimes if you're playing in the sand, maybe they'll come over and talk. And sometimes the easiest place for me to make friends is Scuttles Cove at Castaway Key because it's kind of hard to not have somebody to play with there because but Isabel, you're a very, even though you claim you're shy, you're a very outgoing person and you make friends easily and you're not someone that sits at the video game tables and iPads and you're in the tracing room. So you typically make friends and, and then when you get to Skittles Cove, you you know those people because you've met them during the week. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you end up meeting the people that, um, pretty much have the same dinner time as you as well, right? Because if we have main dining and then they go to the clubs afterwards, then those are the people you usually meet, right? Yeah. Kind of like this, almost like somewhat of the same people being there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do the council when you're in there, do the counselors do a good job of kind of like bringing everybody together as a group to kind of like interact with each other? Yes. So, you know, they kind of try and break the ice and get everybody together and then... But sometimes at the tracing table, they s- she asks a question. Sometimes we're all quiet because we're concentrating so much. It's understandable. Concentrate on your art. It's not really art. It's really true. 
not your art. Somebody's animating art. Our last email this week is from Tom from Pennsylvania. We've been listening to your podcast since the beginning. We're always looking for a Disney Cruise-specific podcast, and we finally found one. Thank you. This is our second Disney Cruise. We're looking for any recommendation at any of our stops, with which are Castaway Key, Tortola, and St. Thomas. Anything we should definitely try or stay away from, any suggestions would help. Ooh. I've got the I know where this is going. Um, so we just took this Eastern to Tortola and St. Thomas and Castaway Key. Um, Scott, did it say who's in their sailing party? The two adults, kids? No. Okay. Uh, my recommendation doesn't change. So Scott and Isabel and I look at St. Thomas as the uh, way to get to St. John. So every day of the week, um, we are going to recommend going over to St. John, whether you do it on your own or whether you take a Disney excursion. We have had some friends that have done, if you're adults, we've had some friends that have done the um, St. John uh, catamaran champagne tour and snorkel where you take the catamaran over to St. John, um, you snorkel um, in the waters, you have a champagne, you know, kind of grilled lunch. Um, We've not done that, but that is one that I know was sold out when, I booked the cruise and went to look, you know, caveat, we don't usually book Disney excursions, but of course I looked um, to see what was going on. So we look at St. Thomas as, as going over to St. John, you know, that's just the stepping stone. We have been to St. Thomas before when we stayed on St. John on, on our own, you know, independent of a cruise. And, you know, we did take a day and went, on a tour and did Megan's Babe, but we would still recommend going to St. John. So um, if that's something that you're interested in, I would highly recommend it. Tortola, we did do a Disney excursion, um, which Scott can link in the show notes, which we we thoroughly enjoyed snorkeling in the caves. Uh, I think all of us did enjoy that. Um, And then we we kind of looked on the island um, afterwards and walked around, and the area near the port is up and coming. It's not quite there yet, but it is a nice place to walk around. And we did go to Pusser's um, Pub where we got some food. And, and I would recommend that. I had a great time. It was nice to kind of go get some local stuff. Um, I'd go back there for lunch. Definitely. Yeah, totally enjoyed it. Isabel, if they're taking an Eastern Caribbean cruise to St. Thomas, Tortola, and Castaway Key, what do you recommend? Did you enjoy St. Thomas or would you recommend that they go over to St. John? Uh, definitely St. John. Okay, so you'd recommend they go to St. John. And what? And in Tortola, remember we did the snorkeling excursion, then we walked around the port area, and we went to Pusser's for lunch. Did you like those items, those things? Yes. Okay. And then for Castaway Key, what would you recommend to someone to do at Castaway Key? Um, probably, uh, what is it, what is it? Um, not Scuttle's Cove. Um, Pelican Plunge. Oh, oh yes, the Pelican Plunge area. So, um, depending on your travel party, if you're just adults, we've got a lot of recommendations of people saying go over to Serenity Bay, which Scott and I have walked around there before, but we haven't really spent time on the beach, time on Serenity Bay. We visited Serenity we Bay. We visited Serenity Bay, right. Um, so that would be fine, but I would just chill, 
Um, Scott's not a big beach person. We live in Florida. He doesn't like schlepping all the stuff to the beach. But, you know, on the cruises, he does enjoy the beach because he doesn't have to schlep anything. So um, use that to your advantage. Go chill. There's chairs, hammocks, um, you know, beach chairs where you're seated, beach chairs where you're lounging, you know, food, drinks. It's it's just whatever you want. Um, if I'm a first-time visitor to Castaway Key, I'm just going to go chill. I'm not going to try to do all that other stuff. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. You're on an Eastern Caribbean cruise. The snorkeling you're going to get in St. Thomas slash St. John or Tortola is going to be hand over fist better than where you're going to get in Castaway Key. So if you're a snorkeler, go ahead and snorkel in those ports of call and then just chill when you get to Castaway Key. One of the fun things to do at Castaway Key is the uh, renting the bikes. It's a pretty cheap, you know, rental fee. It's a good way to get out to the observation tower to kind of climb up there and kind of see all the island. Uh, but I know we've been doing a lot is in the morning at Castaway Key, we'll go to one spot, then we'll have lunch, and then we'll kind of like relocate to another area. So, you know. Don't necessarily lock yourself into one chair, you know, one little spot on the island for the entire day, you know, is <clears throat> see if you can go to a different area and find some seats to kind of hang out and just get a new perspective on the island. Uh, unless you have your, unless you already have a favorite spot, but for a long time, we always hung out in the same spot and more recently been kind of just changing it up to kind of see if there's any other spots we've kind of missed or well, part of that is, you know, we've been to Castaway Key over 20 times. And one of the things that we we used to kind of go, as Scott said, to the same spot. But now that Isabel's older, she enjoys the area off the family beach where you can do the monkey bars and the cargo net and that kind of climbing thing. It's the ki- kind of a kid's version of Pelican Plunge without the slides. You know, it's a area that you can go out to the island for. So we've kind of stationed ourselves in front of there because... You know, the way that we used to do Castaway Key was get there right when you can get off the ship. Sometimes I ran the 5K um, and Scott and Isabel would go get the area. And we would sit in the same area until lunchtime where Isabel would play in the sand and play in the water. And then we would go eat lunch. Then she would check into Skittles Cove and Scott and I would go to a bar, go to Serenity Bay or what have you. And typically we were back on the ship between 2 and 2.30 because we had pretty much had our fill of Castaway Key by then. And then you can go on the ship. There are still people, you know, on the shore. And you can enjoy the aqueduct and the pools and the hot tub, you know, without it being packed. Um, this, of course, was different when we went in the cabana. Because we were on shore probably until about 4.15. So we could get our money's worth and our enjoyment of the cabana. But recently we've changed kind of where we um, sit so that Isabel is in is you know starts her day off with Pelican Plunge. I'm sorry, not Pelican Plunge. That ropes area that's on the family ropes beach. Course. Yeah, it's pretty fun, and you know, kind of go from there. So it definitely does vary, um, and I I kind of like that because we had the same thing that we were doing for so many cruises. But you know, even after being at Castaway Key so many times, because we've taken several double dips where. You know, we've had the five-night cruises where we've gone to Castaway Key twice. So that's why we have so many trips there. Um, It's still kind of trying to find new and exciting things to do that are different. Uh, And and I think that we've 
probably done fairly well at that. Time of year also comes into play as well because you're more likely to do water activities, you know, when the water is warmer. Um, but just a few hints there. All right, moving along to some of our voicemails. And if you have a voice, if you'd like to call in, give us a call, leave a message, and we'll play it on a future podcast. How old should my kids be before they go on a Disney cruise? I mean, I don't think there is. I mean, it's kind of up to you, but. Well, they have to be 12 weeks. Right. So that's the first thing. But I mean, in terms of what works, it's what works for you as a family. Uh, We kind of thought it was, you know, once your child is potty trained and old enough to go into the clubs, because if they're not potty trained, they cannot go into the Oceaneer Club or Oceaneer Lab. And, uh, so Isabel was potty trained at 28 weeks and we took her on her, I'm sorry, not 28 weeks, 28 months. We took her on her first cruise at three and a half. Um, and we thought for us as a family that that was a perfect time. However, to take an infant is not a big deal because they do have the nursery or if you don't want to use the nursery, you certainly don't have to. Um, you know, your serving team, your guest re, your, um, stateroom hosts are all going to help take care of you. So uh, it certainly depends on what works for you and your family. I liked three and a half because Isabel had never been with uh, anyone else or a babysitter until then. So what we did on her first cruise, which was a five-night double dip, was we put her in the club for an hour a day to kind of test her out. And Scott and I laughed and decided we knew we were quote-unquote bad parents when we went to to get her out after that hour and she didn't want to leave. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think that it depends on you and your family and there's no right answer for that, but that is an excellent question. Um, I would have been fine taking an infant on and probably right. checking them into the, the nursery, <clears throat> even if they're not potty trained. Uh, it certainly is easier when they are though. I, I mean, I mean, that's and totally true. That's just something to, Keep in mind that if they're old enough for the Ocean Air Club and Lab and they're not potty trained, they're not going to be allowed in. That's because it's a requirement. Uh, so that's that's kind of the only thing I'd, you know, just to think about, to determine if that's something, you know, they might not think they want to go in, but if you walk past, it might be something, oh, I want to go in, but you can't. So, Or it might be a motivation to become potty trained. Every everybody every parent has their own way of dealing with that little milestone in li- in life. So, our next voicemail. If you're planning on doing a Disney cruise and a Walt Disney World vacation, would you recommend doing the cruise before or after the land portion? I think we can all answer this because I will be honest with you that um, Scott and I, when we still lived in Ohio and we got married at the wedding pavilion at Disney World, we sandwiched our Disney cruise in between our resort stay. So we were at the um, the resort from Saturday to Thursday. Then we went on a three-night Disney cruise. Then we returned and went back to the resort. And... Um, in my personal opinion, a cruise is super relaxing, even a three-night where you're trying to shove it all together. And I would definitely do my Walt Disney World Resort stay before my cruise. 
Scott and I noticed that, you know, before our cruise, we did the, you know, Hollywood Studios, Magic Kingdom, Epcot. We didn't even have time to go to Animal Kingdom because we had to have a day where we got married, God forbid. Uh, right? And so um, those days, you know, were just so intense with like getting up, getting there. You know, this is before Fast Pass Plus and all that good stuff. But um, the good then, old days. Then you go on the cruise and you're just chill. And then we come back to the Disney World Resort and we were kind of like, we don't want to do that, you know, get up, crack a dawn till sundown stuff because you're kind of relaxed. So I am always going to be a proponent, whether your stay is one night, three nights, four nights, five nights, whatever, to do your land vacation before your sea vacation regardless on how long your sea vacation is because the longer your sea vacation the more you're gonna chill i i mean i pretty much echo that statement because when you're walt disney world you still have to kind of get up you know you go whether you're going to just the pool i mean if you're staying at the resort the entire time kind of a resort vacation and not going to the parks you're just using the restaurants that are there it's a little different story but if you're getting up going to the parks you know, going to Disney Springs for dinner, going to a different resort from where you're staying at for dinner, you know, having to, you know, try to figure out where you're going to eat each for each meal during the, your time there. It's you're still doing a lot of that. It's almost a little harder than when you're at home because you're having to like go places or figure out where you're going. And whereas the cruise, you just it's all just there. I mean, you don't have to work. You know, you don't have to get on a bus or you know, anything to get to get to that evening's dinner or lunch location. Uh, the ship takes you right to your port of call, so you don't have to. So, yeah, I, the cruise is just much more relaxing than a trip around Walt Disney World. And if you're someone who's visiting those um, parks commando, you know, where you're going all the days and it's the heat of the summer, the cruise is amazing to relax. Our next question is from a voicemail from Eddie. Hi, I wanted to know what your preferred Bohemian itineraries are. Your preferred three-night and four-night, whether it's from Miami, New York, or Port Canaveral. And of course, then at that point, the boat and whether you're going to go to Key West, Castaway K at SeaWorld. I want to know what your preferred Bohemian itinerary is. Thanks. Bye. You know, being that we live in the Orlando area, um, we certainly, you know, I would say if I had the, the choice, my preferred Bahamian itinerary is a five-night out of Port Canaveral with the double dip to Castaway Key. My second choice is actually the three night, which gives me a sea day in Castaway Key and no Nassau. Um, my third choice would be the four night. You know, that's the standard sea, Nassau, Castaway Key. And then my last choice would be the standard three night, which would be Nassau and Castaway Key. So, um, you know, if uh, choosing a Bahamanian cruise, I'm always going to choose longer. I'm going to choose longer of any cruise if given the choice. Um, so five night, of course, is great. So it was a double dip. You know, t- those two visits to Castaway Key are awesome because, again, you know, 
if you do want to get on, off the ship on Castaway Key, you know, there's some people that want to stay on. You'll, it'll, there'll be essentially no one there. Um, and then less visits to NASA are always, you know, a bonus. In February, we did the three night um, on the Magic where we did Castaway Key and uh, a sea day and loved it. I thought it was awesome. Uh, enjoyed not having to, you know, I, I would prefer to be at sea than be on Nassau anyway, even though we treat Nassau as a sea day. So um, love it. So that would be my preferred itinerary. Um, out of Miami is fine. The port was fine. We've been on a cruise out of Miami, but for us being, you know, Orlando residents, it's only an hour to get to Port Canaveral. It's four hours to get to Miami. So I'm going to choose Port Canaveral. Isabel, do you have a preferred Bahamian itinerary? Yes, I like five nights because they're longer, and I like more time on the ships. So you're kind of, you kind of, don't really have a preference because you're just happy to cruise. Yeah. I, I get you. I'm kind of in that same boat <laughs> as well. However, I kind of like some of the uh, itineraries out of my the Bahamians out of Miami that include Key West. I would uh. And granted, if you're already driving down to Miami, I guess you could just continue to your trip down to Key West. But uh, when you looking at the four nights, there's you know looking at the four nights on the Magic, there's a Miami Castaway Key Sea Day in Key West. That right there, I'll take. But you know, I guess Emily said we we booked that lot. Last year, where it was a uh, Port Canaveral, a Sea Day, and Na- and uh, Castaway Key, that was good. But I'm kind of with Isabel too. I'm happy to be on a cruise, so I really can't go wrong. But you know, I'm again, I'm I'm always kind of down on NASA. But if you want to go there, all of them, you know, all the itineraries that go there work. It, you know. The Five Nights are great. There's a couple good ones out of Miami. That I include. forgot about Key West. I love Key West. It's a great port day. I mean, I mean, think if even if you're in if you're in the Orlando area on vacation, you want to drive down to Key West. That's a long that's a long drive. You're gonna spend a good part of a day getting down there. Uh, so to go by cruise ship, it's even better. <laughs> but. You know, and and then kind of take being close to Walt Disney World out of this, the seven and eight nights out of New York on the Magic, if that that's kind of nice. You get a longer cruise. Uh, you get that stop in Port Canaveral that takes you to Walt, that where the buses will take you to Walt Disney World, and you get the uh, uh, single day, one day park hopper ticket included. I mean. Those would be definitely appealing if we didn't live, you know, close to Walt Disney World and go all the time. So, I mean, I'm sure my answer isn't what everybody else would say, but I kind of like the longer ones that include Key West. Our next voicemail is... Are there any advantages to staying concierge, or is it just a really expensive trip? I mean, there are some advantages because you've got the uh, shoreside concierge team that can kind of, you know, go that next level over a travel agent to help you get, you know, book things on board. 
in the Walt and the Roy suite get to eat Palo inside their room, which would be awesome because Isabel would get to enjoy that. I mean, it it hasn't been confirmed. However, if those cabanas at Castaway Key are something you really want, I mean, more or less, you put that request in with Shoreside Concierge, it seems like you'll get it because they can book... Be- they can quote unquote book before platinum. I'm going to put this in perspective for you. We um, are looking for uh, a cruise this fall when Isabel happens to be out of school. And I actually went to price it yesterday and it's just a quick little three night weekend getaway And the Roy suite was available. So for Scott, myself and Isabel, so two adults and one nine year old, the cost for a three night cruise on what ship? And the dream on the Roy suite was basically $11,500. <coughs> now, Scott is over there choking because um, for us, as a family of three, we would rather cruise three times a year than spend our money in concierge and, you know, spend almost twelve grand. Now, we don't usually spend twelve grand a year on cruises, but... You know, next year we're going to Alaska, so that's a kind of a pretty penny as far as just cruise fare, not even including excursions, you know, airlines, etc. But, you know, I personally do not feel for myself as a Central Florida resident that can just zip over to the port and get on a ship that I want to drop almost twelve grand on a three night cruise on the Dream when I would rather cruise more times so some people definitely find that concierge worthwhile you know it's a splurge for them um you know it's gorgeous you have the concierge attendants you know the new ships you have the concierge lounges which have a variety of things um there is escots of the availability of the cabanas and things of that nature allegedly allegedly wink wink for uh the sanders family uh we you know we're We'd love to say concierge sometimes, sure. I mean, but for the price point where I can, you know, on a three-night cruise, I just need to be on a ship. I don't even need a veranda. I'm happy to be in an inside room. And right now they have a, a guaranteed inside room for the three of us. That so would be 2200 So That's a significant difference just to be on the cruise. Well, I would want to pay $9,000 more, um, you know, for a three-night cruise granted you know one of those ports of call is nassau but um you know that's one of those situations where maybe if i was on a transatlantic or something of that nature where i have a lot of sea days and there's you're on the ship and you're you're in the room more yes uh but but for the standard three four five and seven night cruises you know it's kind of a, a hard pill to swallow i mean i've been invited to a couple different rooms to look at uh, on the dream and once on the magic and the rooms are beautiful. I mean, if you're going to spend a lot of time in your room, like Emily just said, then yeah, it's something to consider in terms of, uh, you know, the niceness of the room compared to a standard state room of any kind veranda or not uh, inside veranda ocean view kind of thing. But it's, I kind of look at it. I'm to, I'm sort of to the point now. I'd rather be on the cruise. I don't care what my room is. I sleep in there. I don't spend much time in the stateroom. 
awake. So I'd rather just be on the cruise than, and you know, in this case, almost spending, you know, nine thousand dollars more for a concierge room. Oh, the top, <laughs> the top room on the one of the top rooms on the ship. But once you find those loungers on deck four, in my opinion, it's life changing. Because the cruise that we went on this summer was the first time we had spent a, um, you know, a warm environment cruise in an inside stateroom. You know, so we were in the Caribbean. We were in, uh, you know, did an Eastern Caribbean. And I thought that I was really going to miss the veranda. You know, we grabbed a Florida resident rate. That was what was available. But finding those deck chairs, they're super comfortable. It, it was awesome. So... You know, Scott and I have talked about this many times. You know, to be on the ship is important. And I would rather cruise more times because we are lucky that we live here in Central Florida and we can just pop over to the port. Um, you know, it's a different story when you're, you know, you're saving up for a trip, you're spending airfare, you know, you kind of want to have this, that, and the other thing. But if you're able to just kind of look at the, you know, discounted rates or things like that and just kind of hop on, it's a whole different story. So, um, the inside stateroom that I used to be totally against. Um, I personally would rather have an inside stateroom on a higher deck than even uh, an ocean view stateroom on deck two. So um, that's just my personal opinion. But uh, I think Scott and Isabel can echo those same sentiments. You know, on the fantasy, we had the um, magical porthole, which was kind of cool. It was like having a window. But we found ourselves on, on deck four in those teak chairs an awful lot and really enjoyed ourselves with shuffleboard people watching ocean watching all those you know fun activities there's two i've got i've got two things to finish this kind of off in a way the time we had a cabana at castaway key has been my favorite day at castaway key it was amazing and i almost fear that booking a concierge room will have that similar effect to cruising and i'll always want to do that again and I'll, you know, that inside stateroom, which I'm fine with right now, is kind of no longer being appealing. I don't know. And then again, and then in terms of staterooms, if you look at it, aside from, you know, the concierge lounge and the uh, outdoor spaces for concierge and stuff, the, uh, you know, if you just look at regular staterooms from top to bottom, your amenities within the ship don't change. You get, you know, you get the same dinner, same lunch, you know, same pool deck. Everything's the same. The only difference is that, you know, whatever's inside your cabin is different. So look at it as, is it really worth spending the extra money for, you know, an ocean view or a veranda? If you're not going to be in the room, if you're, you know, and not going to use the veranda, if you're only going to be in there in the night and look outside and just see black water, you know, dark skies. I mean, something to think about that. Your amenities don't change from the lowest category inside stateroom to the highest category non-concierge room. You get to do and experience everything else the same within the ship. You're only, at that point, paying the difference for what's inside those four walls in your stateroom. So, I don't know. A little tangent there, but... It's kind of what I keep going back to where I say I'd just rather be on the cruise because the stateroom's like a hotel room when I'm on vacation to go see other things and do other things. Just a place to sleep and 
get ready for the next thing. And we actually had, you know, with the Eastern, you have three sea days. So, you know, but being that we were in, it was in the middle of summer, we're on deck. So we literally, you know, I, I'm an early bird. I get up. You guys know that if you've listened to this podcast, I rope drop the gym. I'm there at 6 a.m. or I'm running on deck. Uh, and then I come back, I take a shower, you know, we're out for breakfast, you know, it's a place to get ready for us. You know, we'll put the cartoons or the movies on while we're getting ready. But then after that, we're, we're out of there. So, um, I've noticed it, you know, when we were in Iceland and Norway, I kind of noticed it, but the typical cruise for us is a seven night Caribbean cruise or a Bahamian cruise. And I really noticed it then that, you know, when we were on the Dream in October on the four-night cruise after dry dock and we, you know, had our 5E veranda stateroom, there's no way we got our money's worth. We could have easily been in an inside stateroom because of the amount of time that we did not spend in the room. And if the amount of difference is a couple hundred bucks, fine. But when it's several hundred dollars, thousand, then you need to kind of you you need to kind of adjust that. And if that's what you want to do, that's all well and good. But you know, for us, um, the the value I have to weigh the the value. And you know, more cruises is kind of more um, interesting to our family. The five E staterooms are great. Those rooms that are on the aft of the ship where you can, you know, I I've done exercise routines on there um you can do yoga out there i mean the the balconies are, are humongous but you need to make sure that you're getting the use and the value for them and and we have on seven night cruises before definitely but this was the first cruise that we spent a seven night caribbean in an inside stateroom and I, you know i did scott and isabel and i did comment a few times that we did miss the split bath um, but that's definitely something I'd pay extra for is a split bath. Right. It, it, but the Florida resident rate that wasn't available, uh, you know, we had an 11 a stateroom. Um, so on an upcoming cruise, I did book a 10 a to get us that, uh, split bath. However, was it a make or break? No, we still did fine. So, um, you know, we, we were able to make do, I don't think it, it bothered us at all. It's just having a split bath is, was kind of like more of a, a luxury, but, but not a must have. When you have three people trying to get ready for dinner at the same time, it, it's nice to have that extra bathroom or, you know, extra. It's nice, space. but it's not a must. Cause if you think about a hotel room, right? Mm-hmm. Hotel rooms have shower sinks and toilet all in the same room too. So a lot of them now are kind of separate. Like you look at Walt Disney world, the sink and mirror areas separate from the shower and toilet area. I mean, they're kind of going to that a little more. Right, but, but you can't make do is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. It works out, but it's just it's definitely a lot easier when you have the split. All right. Our next voicemail is from Teresa. Hi, my name's Teresa. Thanks for such a great blog. Love reading it. Um, my question has to do with the 10-day Southern uh, Caribbean cruise uh, next June, June 28th, 2017. Just curious to know if you have any idea how they're going to um, work out the 10 evenings, formal nights, 
cruise casual, semi-formal evenings. Um, if you have any insight on that 10-day cruise, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, Teresa, uh, in terms of this is the fantasy. Next summer will be the fantasy's longest cruises. It will be the first time they've ventured out past the seven night eastern and western so there's not really a uh you know looking back in history of you know what they did last time uh in fact we can there are a couple longer sailings on the magic from a long time ago that we might be able to look at but basically you'll have the traditional seven night where you'll have the uh three rotational restaurants have a I'm assuming. Obviously, anything could change, but you'll have the three rotational restaurant rotational menus. You'll have Pirate Night, Prince and Princess, uh, Captain's Gala, and See You Real Soon. And then the other three nights will be something like maybe World of Flavor. There's a Caribbean menu they used to use on Panama Canal cruises, and uh, you know some another one they could probably throw in there. Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the 10-night and 11-night sailings essentially just the 7-night the Southern Caribbean cruise with the added travel time? I believe so. So it's you're yeah. going from Port Canaveral to the Southern and back, right? Mm-hmm. So it's essentially like our Southern that we took, but with, since we were out of San Juan, you right. need to add that extra time for travel? Yeah. And to kind of get an idea of what may happen every... Look at itineraries from a 10 night cruise and for those on the 11 night southern look at an 11 night itinerary just to kind of see how it rotates uh most of the nights will be cruise casual you'll more than likely have one formal night you'll have pirate night and then you may have a semi-formal night or an optional dress-up night it's kind of uncharted waters in terms of what will happen on the fantasy in terms of what additional menus they'll throw in or you know with when those cruises come out. Teresa, I'm, um, this is an awesome question because I'm kind of hoping to get Scott to do a podcast on our Southern Caribbean cruise. That's not necessarily just port specific, but I will tell you a few things. One, um, you know, we've taken a lot of cruises and the Southern Caribbean is definitely up there as one of my favorite cruises. Um, I have to admit Norway and Iceland was pretty cool just because, you know, the traveling to Europe and going to somewhere I wouldn't normally go to. But um, I, you know, have Scott and Isabel and I have talked. We would like to visit as many islands in the Caribbean as we possibly can. And the Southern Caribbean was one of my favorites. It's a very port intensive, so you're super busy. Um, one of the mistakes we made is we talked about as a family that we didn't want to snorkel all of the um, islands. You know, we didn't want to go on a snorkel excursion every day. Looking back at that, I kind of wish we would have. Um, granted, I loved our... You didn't like spending four hours in an air-conditioned motor coach? But I enjoyed our excursion in Antigua, which wasn't a snorkeling excursion because we did the local group, which was awesome. And I enjoyed I, our excursion in St. Kitts with Annie was phenomenal. But in St. Lucia, I wish we would have snorkeled. And we could have we could have snorkeled part of the other ones as well. What I'm getting at is the cool thing about the Southern Caribbean is that the islands are super close to each other. So there's not a lot of travel time in between. So your time on the island is kind of longer, which is awesome. Um, 
it's definitely, even if you don't want to do an excursion, you just want to go walk around, each port is like that. And I hope we get to, to doing a pod, you know, get around to doing a podcast on it. Um, because that is one of my favorite things I'd like to talk about and talk about a couple things we'd like to do different. And then also kind of throw a plug out to those folks that we did do excursions that were not through Disney that we thoroughly enjoyed and would recommend. And I found them on TripAdvisor. So it wasn't like I did all this extensive, you know, internet research or anything like that. But yeah, TripAdvisor is a good way to vet any third party uh, tours that you might be looking at. We've, you know, the way that I did it was, was I went through and um, I grabbed, you know, a few of the Caribbean books, found the highlights to each island, and then kind of used TripAdvisor as, okay, what tour guide visits these certain things? Anytime you have a local, you know, taking you to these places, you're going to, it's going to be awesome. I mean, we'll get to, St. Kitts was really cool because of that, because our tour guide stopped at someone's house and picked up some food for, I mean, it was just super cool. So um, hopefully we can get Scott to... Uh, agree to doing in the Southern Caribbean podcast. I know Isabel would have a ton to add because she had her favorite things that she liked and then things that she didn't want to repeat. Um, but as far as menus go, honestly, I wouldn't be too nervous if I skipped a menu here or there, if I'm in port and I would get the local food because the Caribbean food is top notch, especially the seafood. That's the end of the voicemails. We're going to go into some Facebook questions. And the first one we have is for Isabel. This is from Chicka Fan. Since Isabel enjoys ordering off the adult menu for dinner, what are her favorite items off each menu? Okay, Isabel. So let's just take the basics. Um, if, if the rotational dining menu at Animator's Palette is pretty much the same in all of the restaurants... What is your go-to entree at Animator's Palette? Um, the, the black bean things. The black bean chipotle cakes? Yeah. That's from the vegetarian side of the menu, and Isabel does enjoy that as well as I do. Um, Isabel, do you find that they're too spicy or you're good? I'm fine. Keep in mind that Isabel is a child of the South, and we have been um, raising her with some spicier type foods. So uh, your, uh, you know, it may vary for, for kids. She loves black beans. She loves to go to Tijuana Flats. She loves to, you know, things that have some semi-medium or hot sauce on them. Um, but it may be spicy for your kid. So just an FYI. But that has been her recent go-to at Animator's Palette. Isabel, um, the other menus are um, the French menu. So... You know, in Royal Palace, in Royal Court, in um, Tritons and Lumieres. Tritons and Lumieres for their rotational French menu. What is typically your go-to? Usually, I get the lobster pasta. You do, you do, you do definitely like that one. Um, one thing to note is uh, Isabel will eat all of the seafood out of there, and you know, kind of very little pasta, which I'm fine with. But she will dig through to look for the lobster, which is awesome. The servers always bring her extra Parmesan cheese, which she loves. Um, but that's <laughs> usually her favorite. She is also not someone who orders off the appetizer menu, whether it be the kid or the adult menu. Every once in a while, she might order a Caesar salad. But um, she prefers to dive right into the entree. Okay, Isabel. So um, 
I'm going to say Karaoke's because we're on the magic more than any other ship, but there's also Enchanted Garden, um, which has a similar menu. So if you're in Karaoke's or Enchanted Garden, um, we can't say Parakeet because we won't be on the one until after the reefer, but what do you like to get there? Uh, at Karaoke's, I like to get the Make Your Own Unblocked Bean Tacos mm-hmm. and... The sea bass. Right. And the sea, sea bass, bass is delicious. The sea bass they also serve in Enchanted Garden and you got that this time and you were you were really wowed by it, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I think sea bass um It's my turned, favorite on that menu now. Turned out to be one of her favorite. She has also gotten I want to say in the animator's palette they have a snapper that may come with fennel. She will often always almost get the fresh fish. Um if there's scallops, um whatever the fresh flaky fish is She's typically going to get it. So, Isabel, the other common menu that is seen is the pirate menu. And what is your favorite thing to get on the pirate menu? The treasure of the seas pasta. Treasure of the seas pasta. That's the one with the scallops and the shrimp. Um, and that girl goes crazy for it. For Captain's Galenite, Isabel, um, what's your favorite on that one? Isn't that the lobster? That's lobster night. Yeah, she feels pretty special when she orders the lobster and then the uh, head server comes and takes it out of the shell and they pour drawn butter on it. So um, that's one of your favorites, right, Isabel? It's delicious. And then I want to say that that's the night that has your favorite dessert. Am I right? Yeah. Because that's the one that has the chocolate lava cake. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think Uh, she's getting hungry. (laughs) I think she's getting hungry, too. (laughs) So, um, so Isabel's first cruise was at three and a half, and she ordered off the adult menu then by her choice. Scott and I did not force her to do that, um, you know. But she's not a kid that's going to get hamburger, spaghetti, or chicken fingers. It's just not going to be what Isabel is. Uh, even when we go to the Disney restaurant, she almost always gets a grilled fish or a grilled chicken. So um, she's just kind of always stayed with that. She did try to order off the adult menu once for lunch, um, took one bite of it, and was donezo. So um, she's not a kid that doesn't like kid food, but um, you know, as far as the mass-produced stuff on the ship, she'd prefer the adult menu. She eats her share of pizza, though, don't you, Isabel? More than enough. That's right. What's your favorite pizza on the ship? Um, either... If you're on the Dream of the Fantasy, it would be Luigi's. Or if you're on the Magic and I think the Wonder. Um, Pinocchio's? Yeah. So you like the uh, pool pool pizza. Well, but on the nights that we go to Paolo and Remy, Isabel will typically get room service. And she usually gets a Caesar salad and pizza. Every once in a while she'll go up to... um, She'll go up to the deck and get it, but, you know. Sometimes I get a grilled cheese. Right. But that pizza that you get from room service is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of see the pattern going with how Isabel orders. She, since she'll go after the, you know, seafood, entrees, the shellfish, the uh, kind of things that I can't eat. So, But she really enjoys them. Those are the things she... uh, you know, tends to always order, uh, even on the other menus that, you know, 
or one-offs for that cruise or special menus for the longer sailings. One of the things that I was taught growing up as a kid that I have tried to pass on to Isabel, which has worked well, is that be able to order off any menu. So be able to be presented a menu and be able to find something that you can eat off of it. Um, so we have done the best that we could to raise Isabel to not be a picky eater, which I know that we've succeeded at. Um, but you know, if, again, if a menu is presented to you, you're able to find something on it. Um, even in restaurants here, Shoreside, we will, you know, they'll present her with a kid's menu and I'll hand her the adult menu and ask her if she wants to pick, you know, an appetizer or a salad because size is still an issue with a nine and a half year old. You know, they're not, a girl is not going to eat, you know, the huge entree portions, but, uh, being on a cruise has definitely helped us and has helped Isabel try different things, especially with Scott being allergic to shellfish. That is cool about that. And I actually look forward to the day. I know that, you know, we all use Paulo and Remy as our date nights and time to get away from the kids. But I look forward to the time when Isabel can go to that when she's 18 because um, being able to share kind of that fine dining experience with her and know that she'll be able to eat off the menu is going to be is going to be a, a nice thing. The next question is from Lauren Wendemiller. How do you keep up with your stuff when you're a castaway key swimming in the ocean? Do you worry about people stealing your stuff? I'm going to apply this to kind of any time, not just at castaway key, but any of the uh, ports where we may be going in the water. Uh, I'll be honest. When we first started cruising, I was very, very paranoid about this uh you know usually i'd always have my camera bag with all my gear in uh and then we'd have our you know at least another beach bag with you know our key to the world or you know any cash we'd take on the island things like that um it i've kind of mellowed out over the years just due to experience i uh i made actually made like a little tether and use a luggage lock to kind of, you know, if we're at a beach someplace, I'll lock my camera bag up to the chair. So, you know, if somebody wants to steal my camera bag, they have to take the whole lounge chair with them or, uh, you know, cut the wire if they're really that. And other times, you know, you kind of, if you're going to on a port adventure with a group or, you know, whether it be a small group or a large, you know, full-on you know, tour from the ship, you kind of get to know people that are with you. And more often or not, there's always going to be somebody within that group that's kind of like not in the water. So if you kind of stick together and kind of group up with other people, you know, you're not going to have, so at least there are going to be some eyes on your belongings that are on the beach when you're out in the water. But, you know, honestly, if you're 100% terrified of, like, leaving your bag or something specific in your bag, just don't take it. It's not worth the uh, stress to kind of just constantly be worried about it when you're out, say, snorkeling or something off the beach. Um, From our experience, we've, you know, knock on wood, we've never had an issue with anything 
any of our bags being like picked through or anything stolen from us when we were in a port, you know, at the beach doing any activities. I mean, in terms of things that would be in the bag, I mean, we don't take anything that's of real value, you know, we'll just take what we need to be on shore and get back in the port. You know, our purses, wallets stay in the safe on the ship. Uh, you know, any jewelry or watches we'll leave on the ship if we're going in the water and they're not waterproof. You know, we we kind of limit what we take ashore anyway. So, you know, the risk that we're taking about leaving our bags on the shore, I mean, if anybody gets, you know, be a, an inconvenience if they, you know, take the bag with our towels in or change of clothes, but, you know, they're not gonna, we're not going to be taking a financial hit. So I think at the end, if you're concerned about anything in particular, just leave it on the ship if you don't really need it. You know, only take what you really need ashore if you're going to be spending a lot of time, like, at a beach. And at Castaway Key, if, you know, it's so easy to go back and forth between the ship and or between the island and your stateroom. So if you want to take like some camera stuff out, but you're not comfortable leaving it in your bag, you know, if, you know, it's just easy enough to take it back to your room and come back out and have fun on the island without having to worry about, you know, always keeping an eye on your bag and stuff like that. Another Facebook question was from Tori Howener. Suggestions how to get to uh, the port from Walt Disney World. Thinking about using Uber. Uh, we kind of mentioned this earlier and covered this in another question, so I'll just kind of give you the same responses. We'll include a, I'll include the stuff, uh, the embedded tweets from before in the show notes for this podcast. I would say if, depending on the size of your group, you know, and the amount of luggage, Uber would probably, I think I priced it out the other day. It was my, uh, it's maybe $65 from Walt Disney World area to Port Canaveral. Uh, so really it would become, come down to how much luggage everybody would have and if it would fit in the cheapest Uber possible and available at that moment. Uh, again, that's not something we've done, so I don't have any direct experience with that. Next Facebook question is from Michelle Cox. I read that on the fantasy you need to use your key to the world card to work the light switches but there's a way around it by using an old hotel card could you use a store loyalty card as well well michelle this is something you know it's the same case on the dream and the fantasy and it's something that we kind of you know we wrote about on the blog a long time ago we just added a magnet you know, to the back of a card so we can, because the walls are magnetic and we could just make, you know, place the card on wall above that little socket because the stateroom host would inevitably take whatever you put in that to keep the lights on, would take it out and set it aside when they stopped in. But to get to the, to answer your question, yes, you could stick whatever you want to stick in that little slot, whether it be the, uh, you know, no, you know, the privacy co hanger, that's already on the back of the door, a business card, you know, a loyalty card, anything. It's not, that is just kind of like a switch that once the, any kind of card goes in, it activate, you know, it allows you to use. So 
any kind of, you know, we'll use old gift cards, you know, whatever. It's just, we found it was really convenient to, you know, just take a little magnet and put it on the back of an old gift card so we could have on the back of the window, or not the window, but the wall, and always have it immediate access to it once we walked in so we didn't have to, you know, take our key to the world card out of our pockets or the lanyards to stick in there. So, you know, Michelle, bottom line is you can put whatever you want in there to activate the lights. And in our case, you know, just having another card in there or the, uh, even if we left it ajar, we were finding that the stateroom host was still putting it over on the, you know, table on the counter. So we came up with the idea to just put a magnet on it and stick it to the wall right above it. And the stateroom host left it alone. Obviously, you know, different stateroom hosts will do different things, but you know, in this last cruise, we misplaced it and we couldn't find it. And we kept looking, you know, we realized how valuable it was, at least for us, uh, to have that, you know, just kind of right there when we walked into the room. CJ Lowerwald asked on Twitter, what item would you add to every stateroom in the fleet if you could? Isabel, is there anything that you'd love to have in the stateroom on any stateroom across all the ships? I want to say something. I'm going to let you guys say something while I think. Because there's a lot of things, but I have to pick one. Make it good. Okay. Go ahead. Um, a bottle of Tanger when I get in the room? Uh, yes. Some real champagne flutes, not the ones that come with saran wrap around them. So, yes, I would like in every state room that I am in a bottle of Tanger added. That is what I choose. I'm still not ready. What I'd really like to see in the staterooms are USB ports to charge things. Of course, you go with, you know, practical. I mean, it's one thing that I know newer cruise ships that have come out since the Fantasy are starting to have. And ships coming out of dry dock, they have USB charging ports everywhere, especially since they're no longer allowing you to bring on surge protectors. So it's a little harder for... You know, as the family grows and everybody has their stuff they want to get charged, whether it be a cell phone, you know, batteries for their cameras, whatever, you know, those well, outlets are becoming a premium. So that leads me into what I would not want to see in the stateroom column, which I know you didn't ask, but I'm going to answer. I would like to see no way phones so that the kids club can actually use our um smartphones instead and use the app, the Disney app. Um, you know, Isabel, knock on wood, in all of our cruises, has never counted, has never contacted us to come and get her. That's shocking and amazing, I know. But um, for us to have to go to Remy and Scott have to put the Wayphone in his tux pocket just irritates him when he's going to take his iPhone and take pictures of food. So the... Why we even have the wave phones in there is ridiculous. All right, Isabel. Um, it's actually kind of outside of your stateroom on your door. Okay. So if you were doing land and sea vacation and you still had your magic band, you can inform the people at the front desk that, and then 
Well, when you go to check in okay. for your cruise and give them your magic band and they can scan it up so that you can use check into your room so you don't, like imagine you're carrying a plate from Cabana's and it's hard to get in your pocket. I, I agree. Being able to use like a magic band to get in your stateroom would be nice. And charge things too. Yeah. It, I know Royal Caribbean uses bands. Lucky. So it'd be nice if Disney Cruise Line could figure out a way. I'd rather bring my own magic band and allow them and opt in or pay a la carte just to have that luxury. Tim Costello asked at mighty underscore Tim, which ships of all the ones in the Disney cruise fleet are you most, are the most worthwhile to visit on repeat visits? The magic. I I think it's pretty safe to say that we're uh, always probably going to pick the magic. So that's not really. There is one thing that the magic is missing and that is Remy. And it's cheese cart. Mostly the cheese cart. Secondary Remy. But the magic has my favorite pool deck. It's, you know, my favorite for Isabel. It's uh, not the adult area. The adult area needs a total refurb. But um, I love the magic for that area. But I... I personally, and I know my family is this way, I, I love the magic, I love the crew, I love the intimacy of it. Um, I would love to see them be able to slide <laughs> Remy in or some other you know, adult venue, but I, I'm going to pick the magic all day, every day, all around the clock. I mean, to be fair, that in terms of just straight onboard activities to keep you busy through the day, the dream and fantasy, you know, are at the advantage of having midship detective agency uh, to keep you occupied is another activity, you know. But, I mean, if you're going to ask me which ship I want to be on, it's going to be the magic. The next question is from WDW, or I'm sorry, at WDW owner. What do you know about crew member pay? Cast members with tips versus no tips. How does Disney compare to other cruise lines? I have no idea. At Paul Murray asked, trying to plan a 2017 Disney fantasy cruise. Any word on dry dock dates? Yes. Well, unofficially, yes. At the end of April 2017, there's an itinerary gap in the Disney fantasy, which is right about the time she's due for her first dry dock. Disney Cruise Line has not announced anything they haven't said anything or acknowledged it however there's a gap in the like a two-week gap or so or a three-week gap that uh you know linked to the uh kind of link to the dry dock listing on our website for it uh, but it, as it stands as long as you know the this is the assumption is true that that is the dry dock. All the cruises after May will be, you know, the first cruises after dry dock. At B-Y-T-E-M-E-O-R-G, uh, Mark Allen on Twitter asked, we've always wondered why the buffet closes around 2.30 in the afternoon in the first seating. Only quick, Service and room service during these hours. Uh, 
you know, I don't have a, you know, the definitive reason, but I know that uh, the people that work in cabanas during the day are also the servers that work in the restaurants at night and provides them with, the, you know, a break. Um, you know, if you kind of talk to your serving team, you know, one day they might be working the, you know, say, just for example, they're working in Lumiere's for breakfast and lunch. Uh, and then, you know, in that afternoon before the first seating, they'll get a break. Uh, other days they'll work at Cabana's, you know, for breakfast and lunch. You know, other days they'll work the quick service restaurants. So you might see your serving team throughout the cruise in different spots working during the um, breakfast and lunch hours. And so closing Cabana's in the afternoon is, I don't know, to give them a break give her, you know, give it time to clean cabanas, to turn it over for the, you know, that kind of, if it's open for the evening for that a la carte kind of, you know, come as you will dinner option for the sit down dinners and cabanas if it's offered on that particular night. But I think primarily it's done to give the crew members a break, uh, since they're working, you know, early in the morning for breakfast seating all the way up through the lunch hour and then back again for two dinner seatings. So, you know, they have to get their downtime too. Our last question is from Tiffany Nowak at Nowak underscore Tiffany on Twitter. Uh, we kind of just mentioned, we kind of just talked about this a little bit. It was Isabel's idea, but do you think magic bands are coming to the ships with the same functions for everyone, like at Walt Disney World? I, I'm kind of surprised they haven't already, or at least been, you know, one of those things you can opt into. Uh, the magic bands are used in the Oceaneer Lab and Club. They're called Youth Activities bands, but they're identical to magic bands. Uh, the only difference is if you get a magic, if you get the youth youth activities oceaneer band on the ship, you cannot bring that back to Walt Disney World as and register it as a magic band to use within the parks. Uh, the serial numbers aren't set up to be activated. Which here. I say fooey. Right. Uh, you know, I know I've seen some prototype Disney Cruise Line magic bands that have been out there printed with people's names on them and sale dates. Uh, I know it's something they, you know, that's been tested on the ships, but it's not something that's been rolled out. And I almost wonder if it's, you know, let's say what, what's the magic band cost if we don't return at the ocean air club. So $13. So you got to think about, let's just say they, have the cost of $13 uh, on the ships for a magic band, give or take. I don't know the actual cost, but there's got to be one of those decisions made by the bean counters that say, if it's not, if we're spending more on magic bands and cutting into our profits, they've got to find a way for it to be, you know, to generate income for them at the parks. You know, people can, you know, the resort guests, it works as their room key, works as their fast pass gated mission, but it also allows them to charge to their room at the parks or at a restaurant. So in that respect, it's probably okay to give, you know, free magic bands to people for resort stays because they're, 
in turn are going to end up charging to it. It's their way of, you know, paying for things. On the ship, we'll use your key of the world card. I just don't think there's, you know, a good return on that expense for them to be given out everybody, especially on those three and four night cruises. That's a lot of turnover. That's a lot of magic bands. Uh, just, I think it comes down to making it worthwhile to where they're not taking a loss on every sailing on the mat, giving out magic bands. However, on the flip side is I can't, I mean, why can't you just bring your own kind of thing? I'm sure there's a reason. I suspect it's more financial than anything else, but if it comes, who knows, maybe it'll come with the new ships. I don't know. But answer your question, I don't know. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm surprised that if it hasn't come already, it, there's probably a reason. We might not see it anytime soon since there's pretty much full rollout at Walt Disney World. And I would expect at the very least, you know, people doing kind of land and sea vacations would be offered an ability to kind of just transition from using it as your room key on property at Walt Disney World to just using it as your room key on the ships. But that's not happening. I would say it would almost be nice if the kids on the ship could use them for their own staterooms at least, since they're already wearing them for the Oceaneer Club and Lab. But, you know, obviously even Isabel brought that up in her previous comment. Well, appreciate everybody sending in their questions. And uh, hopefully I will not, we will not allow a whole month to go by, if not longer, and to get back to some of you on these things. Now the, I've been saving the emails for a while. I apologize for kind of leaving anybody hanging. I was just trying to find the right time to fit them in. So, thank you. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. If you've enjoyed the episode, please feel free to share it with your friends and followers. We'd also be very grateful if you could rate and review our podcast on iTunes. If you have any issues, please drop us an email. You can connect with the show via the comments section on the website, email us at contact at disneycruiselineblog.com, follow us on Twitter at the DCL blog, or on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash disneycruiselineblog. Additionally, you can leave a voicemail, which we will try to incorporate into future podcasts, with your questions, comments, or feedback on the show by calling 321 765 3252